God, all our lives, you have truly been faithful to each of us. In all our lives, you have been good. And God, we know that 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 doesn't mean things are always easy. It doesn't mean that there's no trials, there's no difficulties, and there's no pain. But in those things, you don't change. You love us, you care for us, and you are working on our behalf. We know that. We have your promise that in all these things, you're going to work it out. And so with every breath we have, Lord, we will sing of your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. That song says, I love your voice. And God, there is no better way for us to hear your voice than to open your word and hear you speak to us through it. So I pray that's what you would do this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Teach us and guide us. Get me out of the way. Get our preconceived notions out of the way. Get the distractions and the things in our, our mind that may keep us from hearing what you want to say. Get those things out of the way. And let us listen to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were in Romans chapter 9. And I said I wanted to take chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11 each in its entirety. Because 9, 10, and 11 basically are all one message. And I don't, I I mean, well, the whole book of Romans was meant to be read all at once. Um, But 9, 10, and 11 are all about Israel. Last week in Romans 9, we spent time understanding the sovereignty of God. And how God's sovereignty means that God has, this was the definition we used, he has the absolute right to do all things according to his good pleasure. We looked at things like, in his sovereignty, he chose Jacob over Esau. In his sovereignty, he elected the nation of Israel to be the nation through whom the Messiah would come into the world. Yet despite his election of the nation, what did they do? Well, they rejected Jesus. Most of them. Not all of them. Most of them. But their rejection did not change the sovereign will of God. (coughs) Today, we continue with Paul's focus on Israel, and we will explore the complementary nature of God's sovereignty with our free will. And I know there's a lot of people who go, well, wait a second. He's either sovereign or we have, it's one or the other. No, it's both. (gasps) Spoiler, we're going to get there and we're going to talk about it here in a few minutes. But let's dive into verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness or seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So Christ is the end of the law. He reiterates, Paul here reiterates his great desire for Israel. He wants them to be saved, and he wants them to be saved by believing in Jesus Christ. But he also reiterates their problem. And their problem is they have a zeal or enthusiasm for God, but it is without knowledge. There's a, in the Old Testament, when David, when Absalom rebelled against David, and they were, uh, David fled the city and they were out, there, were, there was this messenger, this kid, who really wanted to be a runner. He wanted to run the message back once he found out what happened. 
And he got so excited, he kept begging, let me run the message, let me run the message, let me run the message. And Job was like, there's no message to run. And the guy's like, but I want to run the message, I want to run the message. Job, Job got sick of him and said, fine, go. And so he ran. And then another messenger came up once there was actually news, and Job gave him the message. He said, go ahead. So the other guy runs and runs, and he beat, he, the first guy, he beats him there, and he gets to David, and David goes, what's the message? And the guy was like, I don't know. <laughs> Zeal without knowledge. The second guy, a little less zealous, but had knowledge. Well, and this was the, Israel's problem. They were zealous. As you read the Gospels, and you really, if you take some time to study the culture of first century Israel, they were zealous. I mean, they wore boxes on their foreheads. I need a tissue bag. Right? Jesus said, you make your phylacteries broad. They would take a box, they would put scripture in it, and they would wear it on their forehead. Now, you can call that zeal, or, I mean, it would probably be more convenient if it was easy. You just get a runny nose and scrape it. Um, osmosis, right? Or they would put it on their wrist. And because God said, you know, keep the word on your mind. And, and, and I get it. I get what they were trying to do, but they missed the point. They were very zealous, but without knowledge. You know, you can be sincere and still be wrong. A lot of people in the world are very sincere and very wrong. It's unfortunate. And he points out that the reason their enthusiasm was so off base is because they were still trying to establish their own righteousness by the works of the law instead of submitting to God's righteousness offered freely to us through Jesus Christ. And so we don't have to establish our own righteousness. Why? Because Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness for each of us who believe. Now we have established from Romans 3.20, Galatians 2.16, a bunch of other places as we've gone through Romans, that no one can be made righteous by works of the law. Can't be done. Romans 3.20, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is knowledge of sin. Right? The law teaches us sin. You, somebody should start ticking. I said right like 18 times today. And we're real early in the message. But the law shows us what sin is, but it can't get rid of it. We talked about that in Leviticus on Wednesday. All the law could do was kind of cover it up, kind of shush it and, 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 and move it out of our direct eyesight. We couldn't actually get rid of it. Only Jesus can do that. And the reason Jesus is the end of the law for us who believe is because he fulfilled the ceremonial law, that part of the law that had to be kept in order to be right before God. And then we've talked about the difference between the ceremonial and the moral law, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but the ceremonial law was all those parts of the law that made us right before God. Right? You had to make all the sacrifices, you had to wash a certain way, keep your house a certain way, so on and so forth. Those were all the parts of the law that Jesus fulfilled. Then there's the moral law. The moral law was things like don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal. Now, we still keep those parts of the law, not in order to save ourselves. You're not going to get to heaven and go, well, Lord, I never killed anybody. You've got to let me in. You're going to go, no, I don't. He's God. Sovereign. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't want to. But we still shouldn't murder people. It's still bad. Shouldn't lie. Shouldn't steal. Shouldn't commit adultery. So on and so forth. Right? The Bible tells us that. We don't keep those things in order to be saved. We are empowered 
by the Holy Spirit to keep them because we are saved. Because we cannot be saved according to the law. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, that he came to fulfill the law. And then we looked at in Romans 8 that the law couldn't do it because it was weak. So God did it by sending his son. So this was the problem the Jews had. They were zealous. They were sincere. They were excited. But they were wrong. Because they were trying to do it on their own. And any time we try to do it on our own, we're going to fall short. We're going to mess it up. So he gets to verse 5, and this is what we should do. You ready? For Moses writes about the righteousness which is in the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. What does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we begin this section with a contrast between the law and faith. The law says you have to live a certain way in order to reach God. In fact, every world religion says the same thing. You have to do some sort of work if you want to reach God. And it doesn't matter which one it is. Judaism still does this. If you live this way, you have your bar mitzvah, you eat the kosher diet, you might be okay. Islam says the same thing. You have to keep the five tenets of Islam. And if you do good enough, you might be okay. Doesn't matter what one you look at. Hinduism, now Hinduism puts an extra step in there. If you're good, then you come back. You're reincarnated as something better. And then if you do good as something better, you get even better. And you keep coming back until you finally get it just right. And then you get to go on. People, I would be a dung beetle if that was true. And you keep moving through there. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, uh, Buddhists, Taoists, pick one. They all say the same thing. They make their list, they check it twice, and if you're not as naughty as you are nice, you get to go on to whatever they believe comes next. That's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? It said faith is different. Faith teaches you can't go up to heaven and bring him down to us. It says you can't go down into the abyss, which is the bottomless pit, and bring him back from the dead. What does that mean? It means we can't do anything. Instead, the word is close to us. It's in our mouths. It's in our hearts. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves or anyone else. There's not one thing. And why would we try? 
it's already been done for us. Why would we try to do it when Jesus accomplished all of it for us on the cross? That's right. Thank you, brother. He says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The word for confess there, homologeo, means to acknowledge or profess. The word for believe is pisteuo. You guys should know by now. I can't pronounce Greek. Um, and it means to have faith in or entrust one's spiritual well-being to. So if you will acknowledge and profess the Lord Jesus, entrusting your spiritual well-being to him, the one God has raised from the dead, what happens? You'll be saved. Romans 5, 4 says, it's, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And when we do this, we are told that we will not be put to shame. It's a long Greek word that means disgrace or dishonored. And this is a quote from Isaiah 28, verse 16. But when we believe in him, we will not be put to shame. That's a promise to hold on to, folks. Because we were talking about this in Sunday school. Anybody in here ever sinned? Boy, a bunch yeah. of dishonor. Like three people raised their hand. I didn't realize my church was so good. I know, y'all. It was rhetorical. I wasn't really asking for a hand raise. Right? We've all sinned. We repent of that sin. We're forgiven of that sin. That's the promise we have of God's word. I spilled coffee. Um, but then what does the devil do? Well, he likes to come in, doesn't he? You ever, you ever have a scab that you start to pick up? Right? You get a scab and, and it starts to, uh, I, I get on my wife for this all the time. She, she does. She gets bit by mosquitoes. They love her. And why wouldn't they? She's so sweet and wonderful. Points, people, points. And, and, but she gets the initial, and then you know, she, she swells up because she's allergic to mosquitoes. And then you know what she does, which is just kind of dumb. I just lost all my points. I know, but it's true. She, I'll see her sitting on the couch, and she's picking at it. I'm like, stop it, you're bleeding. And she'll just sit there and pick and pick. And, and what happens if you pick at a scab? It doesn't heal. Yeah, it bleeds. It doesn't heal. That's what Satan does. Sin will wound us spiritually. And we'll take it to the Lord and we'll repent of it. And, and he will, as he promises, forgive us for it. And then Satan comes in and he just starts picking at that scab. Because he doesn't want it to heal. He wants us to feel guilty. He wants us to feel shame. And there's a difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit over our sin and shame because we think we can't be forgiven for it. And in a second, that shame comes from the enemy. And here we're told that when we believe, we will not be put to shame. And I love that this offer is for everyone, because there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. And because whoever calls on or appeals to the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a quote from Joel 2, 32. 
This is incredible to me. I love the whoever's in the Bible. Whoever's or the whosoever's, if you have a King James Version. Whosoever believeth. I love that. You want to know why? Because it is a completely delimiting term. There's no limit to who can receive the gospel. There's none. And there were people out there, they, they might tell you otherwise. They're liars and they're wrong. Because they might tell you, well, you know, whoever is a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant can receive the gospel. You guys all know what a wasp is, right? You're looking at them. I am technically a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. But you know there was a time when it was taught that people of other skin colors could not come to know Christ? Do you know that? Because they were lesser? What a bunch of baloney! The Jews taught that. They thought the Gentiles couldn't ever have an actual relationship with God. They thought all the Gentiles were going to hell. That's you and I. I'm really happy they were wrong. And today, think about the limits we put on the gospel. I told you about this panel I'm going to sit on. You want to know why I'm going? Because I personally believe that it doesn't matter if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic. It also doesn't matter if you're tall or short or fat or skinny or male or female or gay or transgender or any of those things. I believe the gospel can save me. You want to know why? Because it's not about what I do. It's about what he's done. Now, does that mean that all those things I mentioned, gay, transgender, some of the things, aren't sinful? doesn't mean that. The Bible says that's sin. Does that mean we hate that person? No, we don't hate that person. Does that mean we don't welcome that person? No, we still welcome that person. Does that mean we don't love that person? Of course we still love that person. We love them the same way I need to be loved. We're all sinners. And because your sin looks differently than mine doesn't mean your sin is worse than mine. And vice versa. We're all sinners. We all need the same thing. Now here's the reality. A person who has sin X, whatever that sin might be, I don't care what it is, they're going to come in, they're going to come to know Jesus Christ, they're going to get saved, God going to leave them there? I'm not thinking so. Really not. I think God's going to want to clean that up. I think God's going to want to help them deal with it, help them move past it. Does that mean they'll never struggle again? Of course they will. They will. Right? I still struggle with things that God freed me from a long time ago. Still nags at me a little bit. But God's not going to leave them there. And that's okay. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we're going to take a little detour. We're going to take two detours today, just so you know. This is the first one. What should amaze all of us about this is how this passage complements what we studied last week. Most people think that they are diametrically opposed, and I disagree. Last week, we looked at the fact that we are elected by our sovereign God for salvation. Just as Jacob was chosen by God in his sovereign choice to be the blessed nation through whom God would work in this world. 
And we know from other places in Scripture, like Ephesians chapter 1 and multiple other places, that God chooses us and predestines us for salvation. So anybody who's got a bit of a Calvinist background is going, yes, right! Good job! And if you have a bit of an Arminius background, and some of you don't even know what that means yet, and that's okay. If you have an Arminius background, you're really mad at me right now. Anybody online, anybody who listens to the recording later, that's okay. Uh, we're we're going to get there, trust me. In John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know what that means? <coughs> that means we can clearly establish from Scripture that God is sovereign and that we cannot be saved unless he elects us, predestines us, and draws us to himself. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, which we have just been reading about here in Romans chapter 10, is that we must confess with our mouth believe in our hearts and call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. Does that sound like election? Sounds a little different, doesn't it? John 3.16 says, Whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we know by these scriptures and many others that we, according to scripture, have free will. Now, here is where the big problem shows up. Some people, and they're people, and we love them, but they insist that we pick a side. Either God is sovereign and predestines slash elects us for salvation. We tend to call these folks who call in, fall into this category Calvinists because they tend to follow the teachings of John Calvin, but they take them to an unfortunate extreme. John Calvin never intended that. They teach thing, things like limited atonement, like only certain people can be saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. They teach things like irresistible grace, which means if God has chosen you for salvation, you don't have a choice in the matter. You'll be saved even if you never call on the name of the Lord. The Bible doesn't teach that either. So that's why I say they take those teachings to an extreme. But that's one side of it. The other side of it, we have free will. And we choose to believe in Jesus and thereby be saved. We tend to call those folks Arminians. Because they follow the teachings of Jacobus Arminius. But they also take his intentions to an extreme. And what I mean by that is, is a true Arminian will tell you you're driving down the highway. Someone cuts you off. You show them the one way to heaven sing signal, you know? I, you guys know which finger that is, right? I don't have to demonstrate. And at that moment, you've lost your salvation. And if anything happens to you before you get back to church and repent of your sins and receive Christ as Savior again, you're going to hell. Folks, if that was the case, I would have to get resaved about every, I don't know, 12, 13 seconds. And it's not true. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, I'm going to hold you in the palm of my hand and no one can snatch you up. Oh, and then the big question, can you lose your salvation? 
No. That's dumb. You want to know why? You can't misplace Jesus. Can you lose your salvation? Now, according to 1 John, a person who does that was never really saved. I can't judge that heart. I don't know. I think there's some evidence that a person could choose to have received Christ and then later choose to reject him. There's evidence in the Bible for that. And then the Bible says there's no hope for that person, which makes me very sad. Read the book of Hebrews. It's all in there. Here's my suggestion. Are you ready? I think that both are true. And I have had people get angry with me for suggesting it. But you want to know why I think both are true? Because the Bible teaches both. The Bible teaches that God is sovereign and that he chooses us, elects us, and predestines us. And the Bible says that we're given free will, and by that free will, we have to choose to believe in him in order to be saved. How do these two things work together? Well, some give the simple answer that it's by God's foreknowledge, because he knows who will choose to believe, that he then predestines them for salvation. Is that possible? Well, of course it's possible. He knows everything. Did he know that Mother's Day 1997 I would get hired to play at a church and while I was at that church that I would hear the gospel and while I heard the gospel I experienced the presence of God for the very first time even though I didn't know what that was at the time. Did he know that would happen? Of course he knew that would happen. In knowing that would happen did he predestine that event? Of course he did. Did he know the next day in my driveway that I would look up into the heavens and say God I know you're real and I'm sorry. That was my prayer. That's all I knew. But that's the moment I was saved because I was sincerely placing my faith in Christ. Did he know all that would happen? Of course. Did he predestine all of that to happen? Of course. Thank you. Did I have to choose to receive Christ as my Savior? Yep. So here's my real answer. I don't really know how it works. All we can do is guess. And you want to know what? It doesn't matter. On one hand, I'm extremely thankful that God has chosen me. On the other hand, I'm extremely thankful that he brought me to a place where I could choose him. We don't have to subscribe to one or the other. We don't have to say, well, it's either God's sovereignty or man's free will. It's either Calvinism or Arminianism. Because in order to choose one over the other, and I don't care which one it is, we have to ignore parts of Scripture. We studied chapter 9 last week. We're studying chapter 10 this week. If you want to be a diehard Calvinist, you have to pretend Romans 10 doesn't exist. You have to pretend John 3.16 doesn't exist. You want to be a diehard Arminian? You have to pretend Romans 9 doesn't exist. And I'll tell you something, I refuse to adopt any sort of theology that makes me ignore part of this book. I won't do it. I let God decide what my theology has been, or will be, for now, into eternity. It's up to him, because he wrote it down. He made it simple. He goes, you want to know what to believe? And when you start saying, oh, no, you've got to be a Calvinist, you've got to be Arminius. What, you don't? I've told people that before. 
They said, well, do you believe man has free will? Yeah. So you don't believe God is sovereign? I didn't say that. Of course I believe God is sovereign. Well, God can't be sovereign if we have free will. Yes, he can. Well, we can't have free will if God is sovereign. Yes, we can. Well, how does that work? Oh. And I don't care how it works. Because it doesn't matter. You know, we talked about this last week. He's allowed to be smarter than us. He's allowed to know things we don't know. Now, he has given us more than enough so that our faith is not blind. Right? We're not just, well, I just believe it. No, I believe it for very, very good reasons. But it doesn't have to be one or the other does. So I am very, very thankful to know that I have been chosen. And I am very, very thankful that I have chosen him. And you want to know if you're chosen? Receive Jesus Christ and you will be. Well, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> I don't care. I know, that sounds flippant. And I, I've, I've studied this for a long time. And I'm not asking you to believe me. Read Romans chapter 9 and tell me God isn't sovereign. You can't. Read Romans chapter 10, which we're doing right now, and tell me we don't have free will. You can't. So if you don't like my position, that's okay. If you really think it should be one or the other, that's okay. Dive into this book. Let God decide for you. Okay? Verse 14. So knowing that God is sovereign and predestines, and knowing that we have a choice, so whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Paul dives into, then how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? Good question, right? How shall they believe in him? Of whom they have not heard. Well, that's another good question. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, they've heard. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, and I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and said, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he said, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is really incredible when we, we kind of break it down. So he makes a profound point. The Jewish people had heard the gospel. God had sent them preachers, but they didn't obey. Isaiah 52, 7 and 53, 1, or what's being quoted. God sent out his word, but they wouldn't listen. Psalm 19, verse 4. He then tried to make Israel jealous by allowing the Gentiles to come in. You do understand that. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. But our salvation, of course it's because God loves us, but one of the things he was hoping to accomplish was to make Israel jealous by letting us Gentiles get saved. But they still refused. That's from Deuteronomy 32, 21. It says, God stretched out his hand to the disobedient and contrary people. The word contrary there means refusing or refusal. From Isaiah 65, 2. But they still 
wouldn't come to faith. And we talked about this last week, that there are some people who just refuse no matter what you do. And that's not our call. I want you to pay attention to this. God is the one reaching out to them. God is the one they're rejecting. When we reach out to somebody and they reject, we don't take it personal. The Bible says, shake the dust off your robes. We don't really wear robes anymore, but we should. Um, but, you know, shake the dust off because it's not you. It's him. They don't reject us. They reject him. Oh, sometimes it feels like it's us, especially if it's somebody we love, somebody we care for, a family member or something. But he's not rejecting us. So, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? I love the logic here. It's beautiful logic, right? You can't call on or appeal to Jesus to save you if you don't believe in him. Well, that makes sense, right? You're not going to call on somebody you don't believe in. Well, and you can't believe in somebody you've never heard of. And you can't hear about somebody unless somebody else tells you about them. And you can't have that happen until somebody is sent to tell you. But here's the reality. I used to read this verse, and I used to think, oh, this means that, you know, one day God's going to send me somewhere to preach the gospel. Well, and he has, but you know that's not what it means. I think Paul's being a little rhetorical here, because the reality is we have all been sent. Each and every one of us, we all need to go tell people about him so that they can believe, and that so once they believe, they can call on him and be saved. John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. That's the next verse on the list. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we love, we love to make arguments because we think we can make arguments and get out of it. Well, Jesus was talking to the disciples. Well, what are you? Are you not a disciple of Christ? If not, we do we have an issue to deal with. You need to know Christ as Savior. Oh, well, that, he's talking to first century apostles. Then why has it been preserved for us to read 2,000 years later? Oh, well, he was talking to, to special people who were called to a special ministry. I'll give you that one. And you want to know what? You're a special people called to a special ministry. And so am I. Oh, but you don't understand. I have... You know what they say about excuses, don't you? Excuses are like armpits. There is a worse version of that that I'm not sharing. Excuses are like armpits. Everyone's got two and they stink. You can make all the excuses you want. The Bible says go. Jesus says, I'm sending you. Now, where? Well, that's between you and him. What are you going to do when you get there? That's between you and him. He sent me here. I'm very excited. 
I tell you that all the time. I love my job. I love living here. My wife, she had coffee. She's had coffee with a few people in her new position and with her new schedule lately. And she's like, it's so much fun to go to a coffee shop and sit down and talk to somebody. And, and you know, we talk about the word and we talk about, I'm like, why do you think I love my job so much? It's what I do. I was sitting with Clayton on Friday and I looked across and I'm like, dude, I get paid for this. I get paid to go drink coffee with people. I mean, we talk about Jesus and stuff, but I'm sorry. It's not fair to you. I admit it. My job is so much cooler than yours. Unless you're retired. There's a few retired folks in here. You guys, you guys have it made, I know. But I love what I do. And God called me to do it. And that's why I love it. I spent years doing things I hated. So I could do this too. And God brought me to this place. And I'm so grateful. Where did he want me to go? And then people get, oh, what if God sends me to Africa? Then great, he sends you to Africa. How cool would that be? (laughs) Different kind of cool. How awesome would that be? I think the answer is still hot. (laughs) You know, oh, what if God does that? Well, what if God does do that? Praise him for it. And I'll tell you what, for most of us, God's not calling us across the ocean. He's calling us across the street. He's calling us to go minister to the kids at the college or to minister to the cashier at Walmart. I always use those two. Or to minister to the, the server at the W Cafe or to minister to your neighbor whose dog barks or whose kids are noisy. I say that because we have, I, I know you, I, I didn't mean to point you, you talk to John and Pat, they'll tell you about their neighbors. But we, we have a neighbor, we love our neighbors, but they have two kids and their kids have two volumes. They're either asleep or they're screaming. <laughs> and their backyard is right next to our side yard. And so if we have our bathroom window open ah, all day long, and then the dogs start barking, like, what? Somebody torturing these poor children? Yeah, but two, two volumes. They're asleep or they're screaming. And now when it gets cold and they scream inside, that's their parents' problem. Um, but yeah, all summer long, we listen to these kids scream. And there's part of me, we have somebody who lives behind us who complains about it. I'm like, yeah, they're kids. Let them scream. Uh, it doesn't really offend me all that much. But, but those are our neighbors. We invited them to the 4th of July. We've invited them to church. We try. Have they, they haven't been here. That's okay. They're not rejecting you. But wherever it is you're sent, Go. Preach so they can believe. So when they believe, they can call on his name and be saved. Now, verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in all scripture. One of. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word faith here means conviction of truth or reliance upon Christ for salvation. So that kind of faith comes by hearing. And the word hearing means to actively listen to the thing heard. Right? It implies a response. It's not just that it hit your ears and you understood what it said, but you actively respond to it. And what are we actively responding to? The word of God. That's what we're actively responding to. Now, the word here for word is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. And some people get a really, this word has a bad reputation. And I'm going to tell you why this word has a bad reputation. 
because it's big time part of the word of faith movement. The word, the, also known as the name it and claim it movement or the blab it and grab it movement, uh, also lovingly referred to as the prosperity gospel. And it's all a bunch of bunk. If you're a Christian, you're always going to be healthy. You're always going to be wealthy and you will never have any problems. Anybody who preaches that is first an idiot and second has never read this book. I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here, that if anybody had faith, it was Jesus. If anybody believed, it was him. And in case you haven't read the Gospels, he ran into some trouble. Now, he ran into some trouble on our behalf. Right? What about Paul? Anybody think Paul didn't believe? How many times was he beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned, and eventually beheaded for his faith? Do you think Paul ever failed to pray? Do you think Paul ever failed to claim the promises of God? Was he wealthy? No. He tells us in Philippians, I've learned how to have everything and I've learned how to have nothing. The prosperity gospel is false doctrine. I'm going to stop. I'm going to end up swearing. My wife can see it on my face. It's bull pucky. It's wrong. It's a lie. If you're a Christian, he said you will suffer persecution. If you're a Christian, you will have trials and tribulations. If you're a Christian, things will go wrong. That's what the Bible says. And that's why Rhema has gotten a bad rap, so to speak. But we're going to look at its actual definition. Because it actually simply means an utterance, narration, or command. Now, there's two words for word in reference to the word of God in the Bible. One is rhema. The other is logos. And logos is the divine expression of God. Now, there is a difference. Logos is the entire revelation of God written for us in the Bible that is then culminated in Jesus Christ, who is the word, the full expression of all that God is. John 1, 1 through 5 talks about that for us. That's the Logos. So when you hold your Bible up, this is the Logos. When you think about Jesus revealing the Father to us, that's the Logos. He's the Logos. The Rhema is a little bit different. They go together, kind of like strawberries and whipped cream or chocolate and peanut butter or, I don't know. Rhema takes the whole communication of who God is and makes it personal to us. Okay? So rhema is the speaking of God's word. So when we read the Bible out loud or we proclaim his truth in some way, that's rhema. When we read the Bible this morning, rhema. I'm telling you what rhema means from, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, rhema. That's what it is. Rhema is the application of God's words to specific situations in our lives. So, you need to be saved? The Bible tells you how to be saved? Rhema. You're committing sin? The Bible convicts you of that sin? Rhema. Rhema is when the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts from God's word, giving us, perhaps, encouragement or rebuke or understanding or clarity. 
when the Holy Spirit gives us direction in areas that the written word or the logos doesn't directly address. Right? There's no passage in here that said, Jason, Mary, Leah. That was the Holy Spirit. Guiding and directing. There was no, there's no passage in here that said, Starnary family, move to Gunnison. It was Rhema. It was the Holy Spirit leading and guiding through the situation, through confirmation in so many ways. But that's the Rhema. When the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation, someone, say, gets a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or gets some sort of discernment, that is the application of God's word, that is the rhema. There's a lot of ways that it can apply, but here's what I want you to just kind of grab onto. Rhema will always agree with logos. That's why the prosperity doctrine is foolishness. They say, that oh, this is the word of faith but it doesn't agree with the word of God. And at that point, if we ever have time where some sort of communication, whether it's another person who claims to be a prophet or it's somebody who is, is preaching a sermon or maybe you hear some voice in the back of your head that says, do this, that, or the other thing. Like I heard a person once said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married. I'm really attracted to this other person and I'm praying about whether or not I should begin a relationship with them. Moron! You don't have to pray about that. You want to know why? Because the logo says not to. You don't have to pray about. Oh my gosh! I did. I, I and there's been three or four times in my entire ministry career where I thought, you know, if I reached across my de desk and slapped this person across the face, the Holy Spirit might actually reward me for it. <laughs> that was one of those situations. Like you don't have to pray about that. You don't, I'll tell you what, you just accept that the Holy Spirit is speaking through me, don't be an idiot. Right? The rhema will always agree with the logos. So when we moved here, the rhema was, Starnary family, go to Gunnison. What did the logos say? Uh, we have, I have a bunch of verses written down in my journal where God was saying, yeah, here's this one, and here's this one, and here's this one. I'm like, yep, 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 all right, we're going. It was pretty easy. Woo! I agree. But they will always agree. And so if somebody comes up to you and says, well, I've received a word from the Lord, and you're supposed to give me all the money in your bank account. It's kind of funny. First off, that doesn't agree with the logos. And second off, God didn't tell me that. You see, a lot of us, we want to grow in our faith but we're really not willing to take the time to read, study, memorize, meditate on, and then apply, and that's the rhema, God's word to our lives. And so if we want a, a greater and more vibrant faith, this is where we get it. We take the logos and the rhema, the written full expression of who God is, culminated in Jesus Christ, then personally applied to our lives, and we will grow. So as we close, we return to the glorious truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we cannot be saved by any work of the law, but only by placing our faith in Jesus. Yes, he chooses us, and yes, we choose to believe, and as such, we are called to a life where we accept the fact that we are sent into the world to preach the gospel to those who do not believe so that they can believe and call on the name of the Lord. 
And I, I know, I've thrown a lot out today. I've got one more thing I'm going to share. And that is, if we are going to be good stewards of what God has sent us to do, then we must be faithful in our handling of this book. We must be. It's not just my job. It is my job. But you should know this book as well as I do. Why is that so important? We need to make sure I don't get off track. And I can make sure you don't get off track. And we all together can then take the truth of what this says out there. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word or logos of truth. And there's so many definitions in there. Diligent means make every effort to labor or study. The word present yourself means to make yourself stand. The word approved means to be accepted or approved after testing. And we want to be accepted before God as a worker, which is a toiler, teacher, or laborer who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing, which means correctly handling or expounding the word of truth. And when we take this verse in its full meaning, as it's written to every believer in and follower of Jesus Christ, this is what it says. Be diligent by making every effort to labor in and study God's word so that we can present ourselves and stand before God being approved and accepted by him in this work of studying and expounding upon his word after we are tested in it so that we can be good and faithful workers laborers and teachers of God's word and we will not be ashamed of our work because we have spent the time and made the effort to correctly handle understand and share God's word with others when people go oh yeah well that's for pastors that's for elders that's for evangelists that's for missionaries no it's for all of us we should all make every effort to know and understand God's word so that we can share it with others so that they can believe in and call on Jesus Christ. I think one of the reasons that the Big C Church, not our church, but the Big C Church is in the state that she is in today is because of lack of knowledge and application of God's word. Logos and Renos. Knowledge and application. Hosea 4, 6 even tells us this. My people are destroyed for what? For a lack of knowledge. You want to know why we have all the problems we have today? Because people stopped knowing this. Because it's through knowing this that we know him. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So, what do we do? Well, two things. Really, they're the same thing. It just depends on where you're at in your own life. If you aren't in that place today, if you can say, you know, I, I just... I don't know the word of God the way I should. That's okay. This isn't about making you feel guilty or making you feel ashamed or trying, oh, I'm not a good Christian. It's not about that. Not at all in any way, shape, or form. Please don't take it that way. Well, Pastor Jason said, I don't know the Bible as well as he does, so I'm not a good Christian. That's not what I'm saying. I'm going to be honest with you. You probably shouldn't know the Bible as well as I do. It'd be great if you did. I, hope, I wish everybody did. And you want to know something? There's people who know it a lot better than me. Some people blow my mind when I listen to them preach. They start pulling verses out of this. It's like, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. I got to write it down to do that. 
And that's okay. Start working on getting that. Start being diligent in your study of the Bible, learning to understand and handle it correctly. And if you need help with that, let me know. I would love to help you with it. It is literally one of my favorite things to do, to help people understand this book. It makes me so happy. And if you are there today, you know, in the back of your mind, you're going, you know, I, I know the word pretty well. I'm, I've got scriptures I can quote. I can share the gospel. Most of the major points of Christian doctrine, I could explain if I had to. I'm there. Good for you. Don't stay there. Go farther. Go deeper. Press into God. Spend more time with him. Spend more time in his word. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, because we're either moving forward or we're sliding backwards. There is no standing still. You'll never get to a place, well, yeah, I've learned enough Bible, I'm good to go. Now, if it's an issue of salvation, you don't need much. You need to know Jesus died for your sins and you believe in him and you'll be saved. That's enough. That's not much. That's John 3.16. One verse is enough to get you into heaven. But you need a whole lot more than that for your faith to grow, and for you to walk with him the way he wants you to. And so I highly encourage you in that. Like I said, if you need any help with this, I'm just not sure how to go deeper. Let me know. I made that mistake once. Well, how, how, do I, how do I know more? And I was handed all kinds of stuff. And by God's grace, he gave me the ability to use it. Not me. Always him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And I don't know where everybody's at. I know where most of them are at. But you know so much more than I do. Lord, you know where I'm at. You know the areas in my life where I fall short. You know the areas in my life where I need to grow and mature. And I pray for your continued help and guidance in doing so. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, you have called us as one church, one body, one family under the headship of one Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. And what you have called us to do, Lord, it's not up to me and it's not up to our elders or, and it's not up to just those certain people. It's up to all of us. You've called all of us. You've equipped all of us. You've gifted all of us. So help us, Lord, to grow. Help us to mature. Help us to walk out everything you've placed in us. Give us your grace and your power so that we can turn this world upside down for you. All for your glory. In Jesus' name.